0: all right hello everyone we are back for the deep dive and it is ready
1: to go i think uh looks like i do see sound inside obs so i think we're probably good on that but if anybody is there already on the twitch or youtube uh, and don't mind please uh give me a quick sound check in the chat if you would uh let's while we're doing that let's pause this preview uh how's it going tammy and uh dexter thank you um let me pause this one enable disable let's do that and let me put the chats in front here all good on the sound thank you appreciate the heads up there okay so um yes welcome welcome back to me Uh, i was off last week thank you again to scott for filling in on a deep dive um i am back now though and getting back into the swing of things um, as an introduction for folks that might be new, uh, my name is Tim and I go by Fumigai on uh, GitHub and Discord. Um, this is the deep dive stream that occurs every Friday evening or at, the, at least most Friday evenings at this time. Um, we are taking a deep dive into CircuitPython. We're either going to be working with CircuitPython core or Python projects or libraries, um, relatively advanced, you know, level stuff. Um, It's not necessarily a beginner tutorial or anything like that. We're really, um, you know, as they say, diving deep, getting into the weeds, um, playing around with some of the more advanced stuff. Um, If you're interested in CircuitPython, uh, check out CircuitPython.org. This is the website where you can learn more. If you don't know uh, what I'm talking about, um, a very, very, you know, brief high-level overview version is uh, we have this version of CircuitPython. It runs on microcontrollers, which are basically just these tiny computers. Uh, there's a bunch of pictures of them here on the downloads page. We're running Python code on these devices that can interact with other components connected to them. So uh, some of them have lights, some of them have you know keyboard switches, some of them just have a bunch of pins for you to connect whatever you want. We're writing Python code that runs on these devices uh, and interacts with all those pins and all the hardware that is connected up with it um again circuitpython.org is where you can learn more and lastly i will say thank you to adafruit and if anybody wants to help uh, support the circuit python project one of the ways you can do that is by purchasing hardware from adafruit so adafruit is a hardware and software company based out of new york um, they are the ones that are paying the folks who work on the project full time uh, and some folks like. Me, who work on the project part time, um, they're paying us to work on CircuitPython and the libraries and the documentation and the projects and all these things around it. So, thank you to them, uh, and thank you to anyone who wants to purchase hardware from them uh, for helping support uh, them and those of us that work on the project. Um, so getting into today a brief housekeeping note i'll be a little bit shorter than normal today usually we go around two hours sometimes a little bit longer than two hours Uh, today i'll be cutting it off a little bit short probably about one hour forty or one hour forty five something like that i gotta head out to uh, dinner with my wife and family uh, this evening so i'll be doing that we'll be cutting out just a little bit earlier than normal for that Um, So that's just a heads up to let you know that we'll be ending a little bit earlier than uh, Sometimes we have in the past In terms of what we are actually working on today. I want to play around with some Stuff that I've been tinkering with lately. That's around memory measurement. Uh, I have this project here. This one has a version of one of the things I've been working on Um, This one will well, what this one does is it uh, it clones a library, a Circuit Python library. It will clone it. It will build the .mpy files, and then it will print out the size of the .mpy files, as well as the size of the strings contained within those files. Uh, so let me run it here right now. We have it pointed at this BLE barbecue. Uh, get, um this is the repo for this particular library. So I'll run it pointed it at that one just to give you a look at what this does So and it does all of this when you run it So it's gonna clone that project it is gonna build the bundles for it Which uh, bundles meaning the library bundles the mpy bundles. It's gonna you know compile it to mpy um, It's gonna spit out this stuff into a zip file or I, I think it's actually just a folder that has a zip in the name I don't think it gets zipped yet Uh, it bundles checking S3 I don't know what this one is doing this is something inside of uh, CircuitPython build tools I guess Um, it's looking at the S3 for this oh oh, okay okay for getting mpy cross I see this is downloading mpy cross I guess Um, says it zips it I don't know if it actually does or not I'm getting folders that aren't zipped it, well, yeah, I guess maybe it is zipping it, but I'm just using the ones that aren't. Somewhere down here towards the very end, after all the rest of this stuff is done, right here we have the bits that I added to this, which are mpy file size, it prints this out in bytes, it prints out strings, output size, so it runs the Unix string commands, which I think it was Dan, uh, maybe Dan H, um, who brought that up during the, a recent CircuitPython uh, weekly meeting when we were talking about memory size of libraries in the weeds. Um, So, I was not familiar with this command, but this is a Unix command. You can just run it on a file, and it will tell you... um, Well, it will output all the strings that are in the binary file. So, like, let's go to the terminal. I'll show you what this does. Uh, We can come back out of here. Okay, we can go back into there. We can go
0: into uh, this one. inside there also
1: inside there yeah we got that mpy file we can say strings on this mpy file and it outputs all of these so these are all of the i don't know utf-8 or or ascii or something these are all the strings i guess that are in this binary file some of the data in this file is not like legible strings but some of the stuff in this file is legible strings Um, In our case, this is things like variable names, like actual literal strings in the code, Uh, looks like comments and stuff like this. Like I think there's a comment that has the repo URL, so we're seeing that there. Um, All sorts of names of different stuff, just like all these different strings are in there. Um, So that's the command that this other one is running. It gets all these strings, it writes those out to a file, tells you how big that file of all the strings are, and then it gives you the percentage. So in this case, it's saying, in this ibbq mpy file it's uh, 1899 bytes total there's 995 of strings and that's a 52.4 percent um you know the strings occupy 52.4 percent of the mpy file so i don't know what numbers are good what numbers are high low bad good any of that stuff yet but eventually this will hopefully help us say you know like hey uh, maybe this percentage is too high for this library. Maybe we need to make a pass through and try to like minimize some of the variable names if we can, uh, avoid repetition of the library name inside the variable strings. Um, you know, maybe other things to try to reduce the amount of string content in that file because um, these, this essentially will consume memory when it gets imported on the device. Um, so ultimately, that is what we are trying to measure here: is how much memory is a given library gonna use on the device um, so you know this is kind of a proxy for it this is the MPY file size which is not exactly the amount of memory it's gonna use um, but it's a good start it's 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 letting us know something that's going to be generally kind of tied to the memory size um, how's it going Paul happy Friday to you as well thank you uh, thank you C Grover and Dexter um, on the note about the sound a bit echoey i don't know if i can do anything like about that let me just double check that we have the right microphone uh and i do have this one is muted that's on this condenser i think i got the right microphone hooked up if it's unbearable let me know i can try to tinker with some more stuff uh, but if not we'll try to power through um so that's what i've done so far is you basically can just Choose whatever library you want it will do all that building and and it will kind of run this little report on the memory size so we could switch it up to this one run it again and it will output the stats for this si what is this 1145 uh, this one comes in a little bit smaller it's only 46 percent of strings on this one 76.6 six bytes um the next step uh is to move this into actions which i have actually done already on i have my own copy of this repo Uh, and I set up a new actions um, branch on that repo that adds essentially this this process to the actions so that it will get printed in the output. Um, So let me pull up that and then we will look at what I wanna do next. So what I'm gonna work on on this stream. So here is actually the output from one of the branches. Uh, So this is in my fork. Uh, i think it's on a specific branch i set up a new action called check sizes and it basically runs that little utility that i just showed you it does all the same stuff Uh, although in this case under build assets it's actually already building the mpy files so my stuff doesn't have to to do it in that case it's already actually built we can just run the check on it here Uh, and so that prints out this information right here next thing I want to do though which is going to be a much harder bridge to cross is I want to do some on device testing I want to like import this library on the device and see how much uh, memory it takes up by using gc.mem you know uh, memalloc or memfree um, before and after we import it and then get the difference to find out how many bytes of memory that it actually consumed on a real device when it got imported Um, you know Ultimately, I want to try to figure out a way to get that information into actions, which is certainly a complicated problem, right? Because we need a device somewhere plugged into a computer that actions can kind of send this, you know, job out to, to say, hey, uh, here's this mpy file. Please load it on the device, check how much memory it used, and then return that value back to me. Um, You know, that's a bit of a magic black box component that I don't have a super clear idea of the whole way to do that have a couple of starting ideas, um, brainstorming like ways it might work, but you know, that's kind of the, the next piece to this is like maybe we figure out a way to do on-device testing inside the actions, um, you know, utilizing devices plugged into volunteers' computers. So uh, in my mind, the way this works is you would plug, you know, if you wanna be helping us in this way, you would uh, plug in a device to your computer, to a computer that you just can leave running Uh, either a PC or a Raspberry Pi or something like that. You plug in a device to that computer and then you run a script that will kind of like listen for uh, new jobs to come in from the central server. Uh, It'll send out a job to, to those client devices. The job will say, you know, try out this MPY file. Tell me the size that you got back. Your local computer, that Raspberry Pi or whatever it is, it will do that check. It'll send the size back to the central server. Central server will then send the size back to action So um, this is kind of a complex thing, but that's the, the the you know far off goal. That's the 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 end goal I want to try to get to is like start us working on on device testing in an automated way as part of the action So first step for that is let's do the memory test specifically because I don't have the code for that yet. So that's what I'm going to work on. Right now, I have this code that's building the MPYs and measuring the MPY size. Uh, The next thing I wanna do is just uh, load an MPY on a device and run some commands in the REPL, figure out how much uh, memory it takes up on the device and then print that out. Uh, So this will be on device RAM check. Yep, we could go ahead and add that. so we need serial because we need to connect to the REPL Python serial
0: example. Uh, okay. Uh, why don't we, let's go to a search engine that actually. Introduction, PySerial. Open the first serial port. Serial.port. They're very old, does this matter? Yeah, this is pretty good. So first thing is, let's just get some REPL
1: action going here. We need to be able to talk from this script into the REPL on the device. I have a device plugged in. I don't have my camera set up today, it was giving me trouble earlier. Um, so there's nothing really to see anyway, I'm just going to be interacting with the device over the, uh, you know, through the serial terminal anyway, so you can see my terminal, there's really nothing to see on the device uh, for today, so we will be uh, ACM0 probably, ls slash dev tty a star, no such file, dev. let's do dev like that, ACM0. So right now this will just go in a string. Eventually we'll figure out how to target it, how to make sure it's a CircuitPython device, all that stuff. Um, for now this should be good though. Connect to it, uh, print the name. I, yeah, we can do that, it doesn't really matter. We need to figure out how to send uh, control C. Uh, Python serial send control C. There should be like a code or something
0: that we can send um, like an escape sequence or
1: kind of binary representation or key event representation. How do we do that? Let's see.
0: Let's send Yes, something like this. So
1: this equals Control C for some reason. Um oh my goodness, read really? We do that and then uh, we want to write afterwards. Uh, I mean read serial dot read uh
0: read line. Maybe hmm, let's see while true. Serial
1: let's uh, say red equals serial dot
0: if red is not none Uh, print red so control c we probably will need like enter Um, we'll probably need enter is it gonna
1: be like slash r slash n both character 3 perhaps yeah it could be I'm not familiar with what this code this is ASCII or... I don't know how that works exactly with what this relates to. I remember doing this from Android though. I knew this code existed because I sent it from an Android app before. Um, so let's try pressing Control C twice because I like to spam Control C twice when I go into REPL. I think the second one does something. I, I, I think it just asks you to press any key or something. The second one does that. Something like that. I'm not sure the exact way it works but uh, let's also just write uh, print hello world, see if we get that far, and then we're going to read, so we should read those lines back out. Um, I don't know, this might print the device you know, version or whatever, a bunch of that boot info. I don't know how exactly that's going to work, but let's give it a try. Unicode streams are not supported, please encode to bytes.
0: you think this means something more than this, or...? Uh, no. Okay, yeah. Uh... Yeah, okay. Uh, we got this. I don't... these didn't... I don't think these worked right. Maybe we don't need those. Let's do space. We didn't get the print hello
1: world, I noticed. Um, so we also,
0: I guess what we should do is like try accept keyboard, interrupt this, close.
1: Actually pass, close
0: out here? Does that make a difference? feel like this catches more cases but I'm not positive Ah, okay but the thing is we're still in we're still in uh,
1: I mean if that worked last time then we're still in the repl we never went back so we actually need to find control D also I guess is maybe four instead of three ASCII value for control C is 0x3 Control A is 1, B is 2, and so on. Okay, so it is probably 4 for D. So maybe we should actually do uh, Control D first, then Control C.
0: That way it'll work even if you're already in the REPL. Stop and rerun. Ooh, we still didn't get it, though. Hmm. Let's put also print closing. Let's make sure this is actually working. Okay, that does work. We are not getting
1: anything there. Let's take a look with uh Tio and see what's going on. Yeah, okay, we're just still in the REPL. So
0: our control D didn't work. Um Yeah. Disconnect so okay that time it worked got a bunch of this stuff and then uh, we did get we did get into REPL we printed this hmm I wonder if uh, we need to read,
1: maybe we need to read after we do this. Maybe we're like, if we write things over and over, it's like not executing the
0: next one. But I think this doesn't return might be our next problem. Yes, if there's nothing to read, this doesn't work. Um, Has data or something? We need a way to know. Need a way to know if there's actual data. Specify a timeout. I see. Probably like this. Timeout. Uh is this seconds? Milliseconds? Thousand? Uh, maybe 500? Hmm. Maybe 0.5. There we go. Now this prints too much, we don't want these. Read with oh you can also read with timeout. Is it in read line two or only when you
1: initialize?
0: I can't click this. Hmm. world! I think it didn't send. Cheer up, sir. I'm pretty cheerful. Um. Check the input buffer for content. Make sure to read in binary. I don't know how to check the input buffer for content. Um, I think...
1: Are we not sending... Do, you think, do we think the writes have the new line automatically? It sure doesn't seem like it, right? Because we're not getting Hello World to be printed. Well, but these we didn't... Well, but you don't have to push enter with these, right? You just press control C or control D. There is no enter. Okay, so we do probably need, I guess, at least
0: maybe new line? Or do we possibly need new line and. Courage return? Ah. We got something different, um... Oh, the space! I think the space screwed us, this one here. We probably don't even want this, do we? There we go, okay. Okay. Remember wrong, you set the timeout. Nice, okay. Uh,
1: okay. So we, we do have binary strings, we could convert these back if we wanted, I think the B's are fine for now. Um, so
0: now we don't want to print, we want to... ...do an import dynamically. Um... So I think I tried this the other day. I don't remember
1: what it was. I think it's like... So it like uh, it's like uh, module equals import and then string name here. Uh, so we would say like, Adafruit SI1145. No
0: module. Did I just call it wrong maybe or it's not installed on my device? It's not installed on my device. So let's do
1: MPR 121 for right now. MPR
0: 121. Yes. Okay. So now I want this. In here we want to put this as one of these.
1: We wanna go actually import G C we wanna go
0: before equals G C dot mem I don't remember. Is it underscore?
1: Yeah alloc this then do the import then go print uh
0: diff oh my this is like super meta i don't want to do that let's just do uh hmm. I was thinking I was going to replace this... Let's do this. Module name... This one is an F string
1: inside the script. This is an F. So the thing is here where I'm like writing Python code in a string inside a Python script and I don't think we're gonna have some like inception code problems of string substitutions inside string substitutions i don't think think that will give us trouble this way though we should be all right so we go like this uh diff is going to be before no it's going to be um the new one after no it's going
0: to be before before minus gc.mem alloc Yeah. So get the before value, import the module, print the before value minus the after value. Check serial in waiting to see if there's anything to read. Serial.in waiting. Oops, wrong one. I don't know why I keep clicking back to this. Keep this eventually I'll
1: make a check here for just an empty line and skip printing it if it's an empty line I guess maybe this will work for that I'm not sure I'll do that more explicitly later on though if we are
0: getting those empty lines getting printed okay so we don't really want to run
1: hello hello world instead we want to go serial.write. dot
0: yes we should call this B it's string and then we go for memory test script. Uh, replace.
1: Remember, we need to do this with the actual module name, which right now I'm just going to hard code, but eventually we're going to base it on something a uh, command line argument. Uh, I don't know, input variable of some kind. So for right now though,
0: we'll just put this one in. And so one thing I don't know is like writing it with the multi-line thing. Is that going to work? I don't actually know. So we'll find out. Um, yeah. see what it does. I do need to disconnect this. Bytes like object. That didn't work. I guess because these aren't bytes. Hmm, there we go. OK. Ah, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't look like that worked right. Looks like we got all that on one line i guess we will actually need like this or I mean, theoretically this is already there right it, dash
1: in because we're on the the next line maybe we just need these since we have actual literal
0: new lines but not on this one this one we would i think Uh, but that's not the right spot for it. There we go. Okay. Um, is that a reasonable amount? I don't actually know. It's negative, which seems odd to me.
1: Did I do that wrong, actually? So, memory alloc... Ah, yeah, okay. I was thinking memory free. Memory alloc. So, really, we we do want after...
0: We we either need to use memory free or we need to do this this way. Minus before. There we go. 6640. So, is that a reasonable answer? Does that seem the ballpark of correct. Let's go back
1: here. Let's go back to REPL. Let's go import GC. Before equals GC. Mem. Alloc. Uh, and I'll do the import the regular way. That's the other thing. I don't know if that weird way we're doing the import like this as a string.
0: I don't know if that... I don't know if that's... Uh, problematic or not although we don't really need to do that do we? we can just use import yeah yeah we can just do that so we're, cause we're already substituting into this we don't need it to be more dynamic Okay, yeah, let's keep trusting it though, so import and then 6576 pretty close, wasn't the exact same but I think it's like
1: not a simple science, I think there's a lot going on that can change the amount
0: 640 oh, but it's pretty close, 6576 we're within you know 60 bytes, something like that.
1: Uh, realistically, probably the way you do the import could matter, too, right? Because, like, that variable name module was in RAM, I guess, too.
0: Maybe some other stuff for being able to assign it. Okay. let's kind of weird but let's print json that way our
1: our our next level script here the script we're writing that way it's going to be able to read it in a structured way without um us just having to like parse it and look for our own random
0: thing in there so let's go I guess, I guess, well, no, okay, yeah, we import these first, then we get our before, yeah. Port size, RAM size. Oh wait, no, that's right. Hmm. Why did it not print? Wouldn't the number you get include the imports done in the program? Uh,
1: It would, except for that we are checking memory allocated
0: after we've already done this. And then subtracting it after we only do the one thing. So this should give us the difference between
1: whatever... Essentially, these are consuming memory, but we're not counting them since we are importing them first, then taking our first reading after they're in memory, and then subtracting the final value from our first reading. Uh, I, think we're, I think we're filtering them out because we're not getting our before value until after we do them. But I, I could be wrong, too. Uh, but I
0: think that's the way it's working. Um, I don't know what these ellipses are. These are definitely weird. It's like it tried to print something, but for some reason the thing it printed is ellipsis. Okay. Uh missing a princess? Missing a parenthesis, Yeah. Okay. There we go. Now when we read let's say read um, try
1: data uh, output
0: output equals JSON loads read except value error I don't know what it throws that's probably it right just don't do anything if ram size in output print output ram size There we go, so now we have this as a number
1: inside of our outer script here, as a variable inside our PC Python script. We generated that number on the device, but we now have it as a int number inside of this Python script running on my PC. Um, So now we would send that back to the central server. The central server would send that over to GitHub Actions. GitHub Actions would be able to say, this branch of the code uses up this much RAM when you import it on a device in this one case, at least, because as we saw, it's not, not exactly the same from time to time, and there's lots of stuff that could be making a difference. but this gives us at least a baseline to start measuring something that we can't or don't currently measure today, um, which is really what we're trying to do. Probably close this. Um.
0: So, really, we don't need to print a whole lot of this stuff. Um Oh, we can't do that, can we? Now we are gonna like functionize this. So we're gonna say def
1: get ram size,
0: yeah, uh, module name. vice path ah uh. so I think we should probably make this actually a little bit more That
1: if it's verbose it will still print so we could still use it to read other stuff and see what's going on in the final version though we don't really need to print anything in fact we don't even really wanna probably print this we'd say like if verbose print that Either way, uh, return output, RAM size, and then if not any of this, return,
0: I guess return none will happen by default, right? So do we actually need to read here? Can we just not do that instead? Or, first we're only we're like halfway through rewriting it. Maybe I also have other bugs. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, uh, this is still a while true. So we we would not while true instead, I guess. go once I don't know if that's going to work They can... These weren't? Were required, rather? No? Hmm. Put those ones back to commented. Let's try verbose true here. Expected indent. Oh. That's weird. Okay. Oh. Hmm. That doesn't seem right. 016, that's way smaller than what we saw before, though. Hmm. That's pretty close. Is any of this stuff in any way asynchronous? Should we be sprinkling, like,
1: time.sleeps or anything? Or, like, should we try gc.collect?
0: Before the first measurement? That make any difference? Five six zero? Hang I don't know about those weird ones. The four thousand one and the negative one, I don't know what could have caused that. Hmm. something is not getting returned right yeah this needs to return actually not just break we also don't really need to print it if we're going to return it because we'll print it afterwards There we go. Okay. Don't know about the negative or the 4,000 one. Those ones are definitely strange. But I think we got it now for this bit of it. So... Now we have a thing where some other program can import this function, pass it a library name, pass it a device. It will then get the RAM size back as long as this device is connected.
1: I'm sure it will either. Loop infinite or do something bad if this device wasn't connected. We'll fix that up later on. Put some kind of time out where like it'll try for a couple
0: seconds. If it doesn't see a real device, it'll just give up maybe. Um oh no, we got another one of those. So weird Should we call Collect before we do the next one, maybe, as well? Is that actually going to matter Or, well, it would be uh, after this, I guess? The other thing I'm wondering is, like, is this asynchronous at all? Should we be... Like, is there any chance we should
1: put just, like, time.sleep, you know, one-tenth of a second? Just to make sure it's, like, done doing whatever it does. I don't know if that's... ...happening secretly. This one we got the 4,000 again, though.
0: Oh, we always get the 4,000 now. Uh-oh. Well, I don't know about that. Hmm. try a different library that's like an exact power two isn't it that's awfully awfully suspicious is it? I don't know maybe that makes sense try a different library NTP uh oh that's definitely a little bit too coincidental I think
1: maybe it's getting rounded to the next like
0: next lowest page size or whatever hmm That's so weird. Let's just sprinkle a few of these in. See if it is anything like... Just weird asynchronous, it's not done yet or something. no a different number but now it's still consistent from time to time but
1: it's a different number it is odd
0: that kind of makes it seem like time is taking up some or maybe this code or something Um, I mean I guess it's possible
1: that collect here is like
0: freeing it or something, right? I don't know. It does seem like this one is kind of the culprit, though. It's more consistent with sleeps put into it Hmm. Inconsistency is a good thing, I guess. As long as we're getting the right answer, good to get the same answer over and over. Do we think it's, like, different for different ones of these? No. Strange. Oh no. Oh no. We're not using this. Oh my goodness Dope. Oh, that was pretty silly. Uh, Good night to Shibu. Thanks for hanging out for a bit. Oh my. How long has this been broken? That's interesting. We go back and forth, back and forth each time. Huh. Okay. Gotta actually do different
1: libraries if you want to see different results, turns out. That does make some sense, though. So here. Let's
0: try another one like logging. Okay. Oh. That is weird how it's it's back and forth back and forth now. It's like every other
1: run consumes an extra What is the difference? you think the difference is the same no matter what file we use? Or what import I mean? So 4512 6352. If I just keep running it, we'll get those same things over and over again.
0: 6352 minus 4152 2200 NTP. 1872 in 56 very different Hmm Okay That is not 2200 That parts for sure Uh, so now I'm back to wondering do we actually want these, because I was not actually testing what I thought I was testing when we had these. Still not consistent every time. We did get pretty consistent when we had this, though. Although I also
1: think like each line of code we write also probably consumes some RAM as
0: well inside the REPL. I actually know how that works. There we go. Okay, now we get a consistent number every time. I do think the sleeps help. Okay. And then if we switch these, we do actually get
1: different values for different libraries. 12496.
0: Ooh, that one was still different from time to time. Interesting, only the first time. Okay. Seems like we're actually consistent now. Wait until we see another if we see another difference, I'll tweak it some more, but uh, so next
1: couple things we want are I want to start building. At least test infrastructure that's gonna do this, like receive a, a job that says, check the RAM of this library. It will do it, it will return it back. And I think that I'm gonna try to do that through WebSockets uh, because I think that makes the most sense in the architecture that I'm imagining, which again is GitHub Actions is basically gonna send a request to a central server. Central server is going to have a bunch of WebSocket clients connected to it. Those are volunteers on a PC or a single board computer with a device plugged in via USB. Those are the WebSocket clients. When the central server wants one of the clients to check a size for it, it'll send a job through the WebSocket to say, hey, please do this check for me. If the client is there, and it gets the the job okay, it will try it, it will do it, it will get the number, and it will send that number back through the WebSocket. Central server then has that number, and it can actually return it back to that actions
0: um, instance, essentially that actions task or whatever. So... To start with, I
1: am going to build a very basic version of the server and the client. I don't know if these will actually end up being the ones that get used at all, but these are going to be the ones I'm going to start testing this idea with to even like see if it's a viable thing to do. So let's not put test in the name, that like makes it get treated differently. So let's call this um, job server.
0: And then job client. And for this, I'm going to try using this thing because it's pretty easy. Yes, we should probably install it. We need the client side of the docs. We do have, actually, an HTTP example, which is kind of cool. How do we run a client? All of these are servers. So this will start up a server, listen on port 8000. Whenever
1: a new message comes in, it'll just send the message back to the client that sent it. So we should
0: be able to send hello world, get hello world back if this is running. Seems like that worked, maybe. Let's make sure it worked by
1: saying... let's modify it to say you sent self that data that way we make sure we're not just like printing whatever we send
0: rather than ah see yeah oh but i didn't rerun it Okay, that is working, okay. Perfect. So, our server let's look at this one actually, because this has clients. Where does clients come from? Connected. Whenever a new thing connects, loop over clients. Call send message blah blah connected. And then append I guess the client that connected to clients.
1: Whenever it closes, we go remove it from there. We send all these a message that says disconnected. Okay. And then whenever they send a message, we just say
0: this user sent this message. Okay. Okay, so we got connected we didn't ever get this it didn't seem like but this only sends two existing
1: clients of which we did not have any when we started
0: therefore nobody got it So we need to run multiple instances of this, not allowed to run in parallel, ah, if I run one from here, it's connected. Finished. Huh. Okay, well, okay, so one thing is we wouldn't want to just receive right away. I guess what we would do is like.
1: So after we send our first thing, we just
0: start listening and printing whatever comes in. Server should be able to stay running, I think, hopefully. Got one client running. We haven't seen anything get printed yet.
1: We connect a second client yes okay so we got a message in the first client this is job client here so in the first client that's connected we got the message that says hey another uh, another client connected we now have two and the second client sent this message right here which now the first client received in fact they both sent the message it's just that there was no one around to hear it when the first one sent it. They basically joined the chat room, sent a message before anybody else was in the chat room. So, you know, it's there, it went into the ether, but nobody saw it. Um, That's how I think a WebSockets, at least as these like chat rooms, essentially. Um, So the way we want this to work is, we need a basically just like,
0: the most basic version is we just want to wait until we receive a job.
1: Going to bed. Thanks Tim. Nice weekend uh, to y'all. Yeah, for sure. Good night. Uh, Paul, thanks for
0: hanging out. Um So let's not let's not do this. Instead, let's just listen. If data, we're gonna say, try json.loads data object, data, accept, value error, pass.
1: Try to load it as json if that succeeds, Job in data Print. data object. This should look for an object inside the message that came in. We check the object for a job field. If it has one, we print the object. We're going to turn off this print. We're only going to print things that are jobs if they come in. I'm going to save that. This would be so helpful for PR reviews. The, uh, the memory managing thing or the WebSocket thing? I mean, ultimately, I, I'm hoping to integrate it into the actions so that it will be used by the PR reviews. We'll be able to say, like, Memory management. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's my goal is, like, to make this all automated so inside actions it can print the value and we can assess, like, you know, here's what it was before, here's what it is after um, the changes inside this branch so we can see if it's jumping, you know, too large at any given change or something. Um, So let's stop this client. Let's also stop this client. Let's run this client again and then we need another thing called job sender which is pretty much like the old version of client except you don't really need to listen at all sender is just gonna send and then close and that's it and the thing we're gonna send Dumps, object, job. This will be an object. This will have stuff, right? I don't know what all this will have. You know, UUID, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it will have um, module name Adafruit MPR121. It'll have um, MPY file. Uh, HTTPS blah blah dot com slash you know
0: something right this is gonna get filled in okay so that's good
1: for now let's try that we have our client running we have our server running we should be able to run our sender it finishes immediately on our client. If everything worked, we'll get a printout here.
0: Everything did not work though. Let's see what we got. Rerun we client, we run sender. Connected. oh disconnected that was the uh yeah that was the sender the, the client inside the sender connected and disconnected uh why did this not work this Didn't load right. Extra data line one. Did I write my JSON bad. I mean, I call dumps though. Hmm. Line 1 column 6. 1, two, three, four, five, six. That's valid. Valid? Sender that looks fine. It came from here. Extra data, line one, column six. How do we get the trace back? Import traceback traceback traceback.print exec Inside the exception Whoa extra data. One thing I noticed is we got three of these. I'm a little bit surprised by... Oh, no, that's correct, actually, because we got
1: one connected thing, we got one disconnected thing, and then in the middle we got
0: the actual job object. For some reason, we are not decoding job object correctly.
1: And interestingly, we see extra data line one column six character
0: five on every single one of these. Which is weird if they're different data. I mean is this not valid JSON? Is it not a string or something? No? All three of them are strings. extra data what? we have two records Hmm. So, before we send it, oh,
1: I am being silly. I am being so silly. So, so silly.
0: We're getting this stuff in front of it, of course. Um, observer. Handle this should just send the data by itself. Anything else, rerun the server. Rerun the client. Rerun the sender. Okay, now we have a bunch of extra prints. Don't need. Side client. We want this one. Pass. Really need this stuff or this stuff. Or this. This one I'll keep. Rerun client. Rerun sender. Boom. Okay. Now every time we run sender,
1: the client will notice that it's a job object and it will print it out for us. So at this point we could, you know, do our import check on it. So inside client, we could say inside of here, we got a job. Uh, how's it going, doc? I am working on memory measuring. So the first thing I did was build this on-device RAM check. Uh, this is a Python function that allows you to pass a module name and a device path like dev TTY ACM0. It will basically import this module on the device and return back to you the amount of RAM that it consumed. So we could run it here. Right now it's using the simpr 121 And I have a device connected to my PC. I don't have the camera set up, but it is there and it's connected over USB. That device told us that we imported this library. We used uh, 6608 bytes of uh, memory were allocated for that import. Um, So that's the first bit of it, is like check check a, a library, check a module on a device to see how much RAM it consumes when you import it. And then the next layer of this is we're gonna try to do that check inside of this WebSocket client, which is connected to this WebSocket server that allows jobs to be sent to it. So something can send a job to the server the server is then gonna forward that job to a client. The client's gonna execute the memory check, send the result back. The server is then gonna be able to ultimately respond back to the thing that requested it, which is hopefully gonna be GitHub Actions. So like, once everything is all working together, an action is gonna to fire to a central server. Central server is gonna send those jobs through the WebSocket. One of the clients is gonna carry out the job, get the measurement, send it back to the central server central server is gonna send it back to GitHub Actions so that it can include that in the output of the Actions. Uh, And then my idea is like volunteers can keep devices plugged into their PC, Uh, even like a Raspberry Pi I think would work for this. You keep it plugged in and you just keep it running 24 seven connected to the internet uh, and you run this job client script. So it'll basically connect to the central server and just listen for incoming jobs. Whenever it receives an incoming job, it will execute it, figure out the amount of memory, send it back to the central server, will then forward it along to actions and everything else. Um, so that is like the grand vision for what I'm working on right now specifically. Uh, during the stream, I did this bit, which does the memory check on the device, and I've now created the, a, a placeholder, a very basic version of the WebSocket server, the WebSocket client, and then something to send a test job. Uh, And so now what I'm gonna do is have it try to run this ram check
0: when it receives the job. Name. How's it going, Dax?
1: So the end goal is to have the server with devices hooked up or to emulate? Server with devices hooked up. Well, it's too hop right? There's a central server which is out on the internet and then there's a script which runs on your local PC or Raspberry Pi that connects to that central server, and your PC or Raspberry Pi also has a microcontroller plugged in with USB. So your PC or Raspberry Pi is essentially allowing that central server to be able to use your microcontroller to test the memory size. Uh, How's it going, DJ Devin? but yeah not uh, not emulated they're real devices uh but they're plugged into pcs which are running this client job running thingy bopper whatever it ends up being called um so get the ram size we don't need to really print the data object let's say if ram size uh send
0: back uh... dumps Sounds interesting, it'll automatically track RAM use for code
1: running on a device. No, not quite. It will track RAM use for a specific library that you tell it to import. Um, And that's it. So it's not like a long running thing that measures your project uh, or any given project. It's just a module, a single import module at a time. The the idea being we would run this check any time a change is made to a library. So we'd have a before the change amount of RAM that the library consumes. And then we have an after the change amount of RAM that the library consumes. And both of those values get printed somewhere inside the pull request. That way we can see like, here's how much RAM this library uses today, and then here's how much RAM it will use if we accept these changes. Um, if that makes sense. But yeah, we're always testing one
0: specific module, not you know the, an entire project altogether. Job client. One thing is I don't know if we're gonna see this printed anywhere. I think let's just add a uh,
1: print ink data self.data, so we just can
0: see it on the server if we actually send back this result correctly. Okay, so the server's running, the client's running, we'll send our job, we'll look in the client, Ah, yeah. We need to turn this to bytes. How do you convert a string to a byte string? Encode? bytes what's the one liner? Pipe. Bytes string out in code. String out in We run the client. We run the sender. boom okay so client got its job client got the amount of
1: RAM and client sent it back to the server and server received it so at this point the server would return that value back to actions uh, which would have initially been essentially the actions task would have been this job sender the actions task will send the send the job to the central server probably with an HTTP request, not a WebSocket thing like this. Right now, this is connecting to the WebSocket, sending the job that way. Eventually, this will probably be like a post, I think. Um, you You post the job to the server, and the server then sends it through WebSocket to the other thing. Um, I will never have time to do it, and it's likely above my abilities, but I want to look into the WACWI emulator and uh, run it making memory snapshots so we can see everything, like that thing Scott did a while ago with the debugger. That would be awesome. I agree with that, definitely. Uh, Encode, decode, yep, thank you. Uh, MicroPython has a unicorn emulator on their website that this reminds me of. Interesting. Unicorn emulator. I'll have to check that out. I'm not familiar with it. Okay. So I think I'm gonna probably be wrapping it up pretty soon. So for folks that weren't here at the beginning, I let everybody know when I started that it was gonna be a little bit shorter of a stream than normal. I'm headed out to dinner with my wife and family. Um, And so yeah, I'm gonna be wrapping up here in just a minute. I'm pretty happy with what we got done today though, right? We have this ability to check the memory usage on an actual live device, and we have the very beginnings of a very rudimentary version of a server and a client that will allow us to request these readings to get taken and then send that reading back to the server. That way we have the beginnings of a couple of these different components that will then allow us to integrate all of this with actions. Um, And so then essentially we can be doing automated tests uh, automated tests on live devices. And another thing I'll say too, like, this is just the beginning of this this is kind of the first thing i want to do with this with this infrastructure that allows this on-device testing in the automated fashion like theoretically we could be running actual test cases and actual like assert things and stuff as well um in this one we're not actually really executing any code except for just import and figure out the size but like in the end once we have this infrastructure these job runners—they could run different kinds of jobs. We could have one that will actually run a test suite, um, you know, check some assertions, and then give you back the response, you know, the results of those tests. Um, so that's kind of like pie in the sky, you know, even more of what we could do with this infrastructure if we do get it set up. Uh, and the, the the last thing I'll say is like, you know, it, it relies on the volunteers, right? This whole thing only works if enough people are willing to plug in a device to a computer that's running all the time. Um, So, like, I can volunteer a computer to do that, but at the end of the day, we probably will need more volunteers that are willing to have their PC run this client script and connect their device up to it. So um, I don't know for sure how much uh, buy-in we'll get from the community on that, but that's one thing that this does hinge upon. Even if we make all this infrastructure, we need the actual devices to get plugged in and to run the client script to actually do the tests for us. So... Uh, My hope is that if I can set up the infrastructure and make it super duper duper easy for you to just plug in your device and let it uh, do this, my hope is that we'll have a handful of folks in the community who are willing to just let that run 24-7, you know, tucked away on a Raspberry Pi or whatever, Um, just kind of set it and forget it, let it run its tests in the background there and do its thing. So um, we'll have to see if we, once we get everything all set up, then we'll have to, uh, see if we can get folks to do it um is there a link to the adafruit discord you see it now yep no problem uh, and it is down there i'll say it aloud too for anybody who is listening but not watching adafruit slash discord um, that is the link to go to the adafruit discord uh, i would plug in a few selfishly so it would be uh selfishly it would be so helpful yeah i'm i'm glad to hear that raspberry pi with a huge usb hub yeah you could have multiple devices even um on one thing that's another another thing we could do it you know eventually we can start having the devices like report back what they are you know ESP32 S2 you know it's going to run the test on that or whatever versus a uh, SAMD51 or something um you know there's a bunch of different different ways we can do this i kind of am basing this idea off of some of the stuff that is available out there for mobile automated testing There's similar things like this for mobile automated testing out there i think scott even talked to somebody he's mentioned it a few times a startup that was trying to do that so that's kind of what i modeled this idea on is is those you know cloud-based mobile phone automated testing services that's kind of the same idea i want here is a cloud-based microcontroller automated testing service Um, but we're not going to use it as a service that people pay for probably at least not at the beginning we're going to use it as github actions does it so that we can make more informed decisions about uh, pull requests on our libraries. Uh, I would run at no P, would be cool to have RAM valves on my GPS project, cause GPS runs 24 seven. Yeah, that's a whole, um, that is also like a whole nother layer is like accurately measuring an entire project that's running, this is really isolating down to the individual ones, um, but yeah, 24 seven stuff, that's when honestly the memory is the most important because you gotta make sure you're not growing over time. Or you got to make sure to have automated reboots otherwise you run out of ram eventually um so that is definitely uh one of the challenges of those like always on iot 24 7 type things um but yeah that's where we're at that's the progress we got done today we got the very beginnings of this we can we can do the measurement we have a basic server a basic client we're able to send jobs um so that's where we're at we'll keep we'll keep hammering away at it we'll try to get this built up eventually we'll switch it into a web server so that uh, it can take a post request to get the job sent in, and we'll just take it from there. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for watching. That's the thing I dream of too: having a hub with twenty boards. Since I have, uh, since I have many, I don't use, and I automatically test CPU builds every now and then with a suite of tests that can be done in the CI. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear there's a couple of folks, that sounds like, that are interested in this. And that brings up another good point as well is, uh, is builds, right? I've been taking the, the library angle of approach to this, talking about like library PRs and uh, measuring the, the RAM usage of those library updates. Um, but we could totally have this hooked up to the core, P, uh, the core repo as well to where like when a PR gets submitted to the core, this central server can make the build and send the UF2 down and this WebSocket client could, like, install that UF2 on the device even. Um, obviously, that's a lot trickier, but we could be testing on that level as well, the core. Um, so library will be easier. That's what I'll start with. But down the, down the road, we could certainly expand this to more and more stuff. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody the, who's watching. This is an amazing idea and project. Looking forward to seeing uh, this one progress in tandem with web for- workflow. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, thanks again to everybody watching. Um, I will be back tomorrow morning. I'm pretty sure tomorrow morning I'll be back at the normal time, 10 a.m. Uh, Central time for my Saturday stream, so I'll be there. Um, Check me out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitch if you want, Fumiguy underscore Twitch. That'll give you the notifications when I start that stream. I'll post the links and stuff in the Discord for folks that are interested. Um, Thanks, everybody, for watching. I don't Necessarily, I got to get running, so I'm not going to scroll through and thank everybody by name. But I do appreciate all of you that are watching, everybody who uh, watched and participated. Thanks so much for that. Um, you know, it's kind of
0: one of the highlights of my week to come here and stream for you all and interact with you. So uh, thank you for that. And I do appreciate it.